Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is true news, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help us God. Today's Tuesday, January 16, 2024. Former President Donald J. Trump won a landslide victory last night in Iowa, the first voting in the 2024 presidential campaign. A wide margin separated Mr. Trump from his Republican challengers. However, America's deep state is already plotting how to derail a second Trump presidency. We'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. We'll also have news from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Let's start with this Fox News headline about last night's voting in Iowa. Trump wins massive victory in Iowa. DeSantis edges Haley for second in the first GOP presidential nominating contest. Did you have an opportunity watching the coverage last night uh, on the various uh, uh, talking head channels? No, sir. I. Uh, you were so in socks? Or, uh... I, yeah, I was. I was asleep. <laughs> I went to sleep. Uh, okay. I did. I didn't watch it. Um, to me, it was a foregone conclusion that it was going to be a massive Trump victory. Uh, to me, the only, the only question was who was going to fight for second place. And how far back would they be? Right. And I didn't feel like staying up that late to find out. Um, but what did you see? Uh, basically, it was the same thing on that that, w- that we were expecting. Of course, we knew that uh, Donald Trump would uh, be out ahead, way ahead. And the only question was how far ahead it was going to be. And this time be. the polls so, turned out to be right. Yes. And uh, so I watched the uh, f- uh, Fox News coverage of it, and I felt like they did a pretty good job of it. Of course, it was very it was leaning uh, certain directions. I skipped over to uh, CNN, MSNBC every once in a while, and of course they were screeching, <laughs> especially over MSNBC. They were like, ah! And so it was uh, uh, quite humorous to watch that. But uh, what, so something, the Trump derangement syndrome yeah, was already is kicking bad. in. Now, when uh, President Trump gave his uh, victory speech, uh, there was only one network out there that uh, delivered the whole speech. It, even Fox didn't deliver the whole victory speech. They dumped out toward the end, and only one network out there uh, had the very tail end of the speech, mm-hmm. and that was RSBN. The other networks, they they just dumped out, uh, uh, you know, talk, started talking over his victory speech. and Which, imagine in the past, you, you never did that. Never, not, not to Bob Dole, not to Reagan, not not to and not to Mondale. I mean, you don't even did you didn't do that to anybody. Well, not not to the winner, right? You, you may have done it to the losers, yes, but not the winner, right? So, I, well, we're not surprised, but we do have a video clip. Um, compliments of RSBN, uh, Donald Trump in Iowa last night uh, claiming his victory. And uh, to all of the people standing behind me and all of the people in this room and so many great politicians and great dignitaries and friends, I just want to thank you all. This is a very special night. And this is the first 
because the big night is going to be in November when we take back our country and truly we do make our country great again. Thank you very much, everybody. Great honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, as I said, CS- CNN and MSNBC and several of the major networks, they dumped out on the final remarks and everything. They, in fact, they dumped out about a minute into his speech. It was a 10-minute speech. So, Well, I watched, I watched it this morning, mm-hmm. and, and he said that uh, uh, the one thing that caught my attention, he said he's, when he goes into the White House, he's initiating the biggest deportation yes. program the United States has ever seen. So um, and he's talking about deporting illegal immigrants in the country. Now, that obviously is a challenge to the entire deep state establishment. Right. And a direct challenge to President Joe Biden, who's been totally inactive on the border question. We have a border czar and Kamala Harris that's never been to the border. (laughs) So uh, the the Biden administration is going to have to step up on this issue. But I don't think they're they're going to. They're not going to. No, no. It's not a crisis. It's a policy. The policy is open the borders, allow as many people to come in as possible during four years. Do as much damage to the country that you can do in four years. People missed it with the two terms of, of Obama. Conservatives kept saying Obama was incompetent. I kept saying, no, he's not. He's extremely competent, and he's beating you every day. What you're missing, this is what I was saying to the conservatives in, in, during the Obama years. The man is deliberately dismantling the country. And now we're giving a Obama 2.0. Yes, because Obama's running the country now under, under Biden. And that border policy is an Obama policy. Do as much damage to America that you can possibly do. Forgive student debt run up the national debt, walk away from billions of dollars of, of military equipment in Afghanistan. Just what can you do to damage the country? That's Obama. He's a wrecking ball. He was wrecking the country when he was in the White House. He's still wrecking the country now. He's running the Democratic Party. He's, he is running the um, never-Trump movement. He ran the... Uh, the operation for four years to to uh, destabilize the Trump presidency. Obama's in power, and and he's still running things, Doc. Um, Joe Biden is is just a figurehead, and at some point here he, they're going to tell Joe, Joe, you've always been a figurehead. Well, even if they do time, will he be able to digest it? And it won't matter. They'll just take him. They'll just remove him and put him away. It doesn't matter. They don't care. The, Joe Biden is is a non-factor in all this. Hmm. That's a, a pretty good observation. He's a non-factor. There. He's not important in this at all. When when Obama's ready to move Joe out, it's going to happen. But it's not. They're not ready yet. But they're going to do it. They're not going to put Joe Biden on the ticket unless they're convinced they can steal the election again 
with an 81-year-old, maybe 82-year-old phony president. Hiding in the basement. Hiding so. in the and they, Oh, this time they've got to hide him in the basement. <laughs> they've got to take him deeper than the basement this time. He's so senile now. Think of where he was at four years ago. He, whether it was him or his double, he could make a coherent sentence. He can't now. They can't let it. Do you think he could debate? Absolutely not. That's why they eliminated any potential for debates in the Democratic primaries. Well, they got rid of the primaries. Yes, all right. They went beyond that, Doc. They just got rid of the primaries <laughs> yeah. because they're because Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy. Therefore, we're going to abolish the Democratic primaries to save democracy. We're not going to allow the people to vote so we can save democracy. Well, let's take a look at the uh, vote tally in the uh, Iowa caucuses last night. Um, huge. Look at this. Yeah. Donald Trump, 51 percent. Next challenger, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, 21.2 percent, followed by the warmonger herself, Nikki Haley, 19.1 percent. Then uh, Vivek Ramaswamy drops way down to 7.6. Who is Ryan Blinky? Or Binky, Binky, Ryan Binky. Who is that? I, I have no idea. I never heard the name before I saw this uh, still earlier. He got today. more votes than Asa Hutchinson. <laughs> he got more votes than Chris Christie. <laughs> Chris Christie. Did anybody vote for Chris Christie? 35 people did. Those 35 are, people. They must not have heard that he had dropped out of the race. In the he, entire state of, of Iowa, 35 people voted for Did Christie drop out? Yes, he dropped out last week. He did? Yes. I had never known he dropped in. <laughs> no, but he dropped out. He dropped so. out. But Asa Hutchison said he's... He's still in. Well, he's he's evaluating his campaign right now. Right. He, he's going to evaluate it. Uh, but look at the spread. 51%. And then the next one, Governor DeSantis, down to 21%. They weren't, you know... Um, Nikki Haley was convinced she was going to run a strong second. She ended up running a strong third. Right. Now, uh, a lot of the pundits were already projecting that Trump would be below 50 percent, but saw early on in the evening when the uh, results started coming in, he was pegging at 52 and 54. You see the final tally here at 51. So, um, And the Trump campaign had kind of backed off on saying we're going to have an overwhelming victory, even though they knew they were. Doc, so I, the race I, was on for second and third. I knew how the uh, media would spin it today. Lee, in control room. Can you put a live shot of Drudge Report on screen right now? I knew they were going to do this. I, I knew. The mo I just started laughing a, a, about a half hour ago when I, I went to Drudge and saw the, the, the headline in red. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> half of Republicans didn't want Trump. <laughs> well, that's not quite true. Almost half. <laughs> wow. Well, half of, the, half of Americans didn't want Biden. Yes. That's true in every election. But that's the way they're, they're spinning it. Half of the Republicans did not want Trump. He only got 51%. Look, that's, that's a defeat. Well, you Have know, you ever heard of anyone in a, seriously, in a primary, well, this is a caucus, but have, in a caucus or a primary, sweeping 51% against all the other. And these are, this these is are a historic. Yes, these numbers. are not lightweight 
challengers. Ron DeSantis, Governor uh, Haley, Governor Hutchison, they're not lightweights. I mean, they're all qualified candidates. But to get whipped that big, that seriously, it's historic. Well, Jack Posobiec uh, did an analysis of the cost per vote based on the money spent in Iowa. And uh, you see that on the screen right now. I'll read it for those that are uh, uh, on audio with us right now. So Iowa ad spending, uh, President Trump spent about $18.2 million in Iowa. That equates to about $340 per vote in Iowa. But compare that to, uh, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis. He says Rob there, but Ron DeSantis spent $34 million in uh, Florida. That equates, Rick, to about $1,700 per vote. And then uh, Nikki Haley, she spent a little over uh, $36 million. That equated to nearly $1,800 a vote. And so in this war of attrition, there's going to come a, uh, a come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, for the uh, DeSantis and the Haley campaigns because you can't continue to keep spending money at that pace. Now, we're going into New Hampshire uh, next. Uh, does Just based on what you have observed over the past 24 hours and everything, as we're moving into New Hampshire now, what's going to be happening there? New Hampshire's, a, I mean, obviously a different, uh, a different uh, political climate. Uh, Iowa, uh, strong evangelical Christian uh, voter base in the Republican Party. Uh, New Hampshire, not so much evangelical Christian. Um, and New Hampshire's a true primary as opposed to a caucus, it's, too. It's and an open primary, too, yes. if I understand And there right. may not be a blizzard taking place at the same time. So that, that factored in in yesterday's voting. Um I, I'm, I'm hesitant to make a prediction yet without studying. Um, you know, Mr. Trump may have a more difficult time uh, getting 51 percent. And I mean, if he wins at 40 percent, the media will say Trump no. campaign imploding. Right. I mean, you won the primary. It, it, it should be you won the primary, but they will spin it as Trump campaign imploding. Half the Republicans don't want Trump. More than half. Yeah, more time. than half don't want him now. 60% don't want him, you know. Um, so um, I would suspect that Mr. Trump is going to be campaigning in New Hampshire over the next week. As he doesn't even have a week. If, what, about five days? Right. Yeah, so I, I would think he's going to be making some appearances there. Um, Nikki Haley was counting on coming out of this uh, Iowa vote with a strong number two and she was hoping that she could overtake him in new hampshire or at least be really close to be the uh, apparent challenger to yes. donald trump but ron DeSantis can rightfully claim that he is the alternative to trump yes and i saw one headline today that said uh, how was it um it says something like uh, Haley um, Haley edges out DeSantis for lead in New Hampshire. I mean, they were spinning it. They already. were already trying to make it look like Nikki Haley's going to win. My personal view, Doc, if, if I had to, and that's what you're putting me on the spot. I would say 
regardless of what happens in New Hampshire, Donald Trump is going to wipe the floor sure. with Nikki Haley in South Carolina. And, and he's going to she wipe was former governor, the former. She was a former governor of South Carolina and who the current he's, governor has already endorsed Trump, by yes. the way. So Donald Trump is going to mop the floor with Nikki Haley in South Carolina. And then he's going to come to Florida and mop the floor of Florida with with Ron DeSantis. Those two go- people should get out of the race with their uh, reputations intact. They're going to be humiliated. Ron DeSantis, I look, I, I love him as a governor. I think he's a great governor of Florida. I was not supportive of him running for president. Not because I don't think he would, wouldn't be a good president, because I think he would be. My, my issue with Ron DeSantis running for governor, uh, for, for president, is I just voted for you to be reelected governor of Florida. That was that was just we just had an election. Right. In 22. And you're out running for president. You you've spent the last 6 months living in Iowa basically. Yes, but he's been campaigning for a year. Yes. So the first year of his second term, he hasn't been in Florida. And I can tell you there's a lot of Floridians who love Ron DeSantis and would vote for him for a third term, a fourth term, a fifth term for governor. He can't run. It's a two-term state. But they're not happy with him for skipping out and running for president after we gave him a huge victory in in 22. Right. Okay. So I think, number one, he has, he has squandered his political capital that he had by winning re-election. Remember... Uh, 22 was the that was the election, the midterm election where the Republican red wave did not turn up. Right. Now, my view is uh, that was not uh, that was not a fluke. I, I believe the election was was stolen again. It just did not make sense. It defied historical records. Right. OK. Um, but Ron DeSantis won big in Florida. It's almost like somebody wanted him to win big. So he would run for president. And bait him to come out and run for president and then slam him. Because when he comes back to Florida, he's a wounded puppy. He's going to have fur missing off his back. He's going to be uh, looking pretty rough. He's going to look like a puppy that's been living out in the woods for six months. He's lost his political clout in Florida. If he stays in this race and Donald Trump just wipes it out in, on the Florida primary, Ron DeSantis is going to be politically a non-issue in Florida. It'll be difficult for him to get bills passed in the state legislature. Because he won't have that. He mandate. won't have any clout. Right. So he made a strategic error. And it's possible that he was baited to do it. That the people who were saying, run, 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 were actually his enemies to get rid of him. Because he won't be a factor in 28. That's a good point. you, you got to think like evil Doc. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't asked evil Doc on the issue yet. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> but that's my thought. That 
Ron DeSantis should salvage his political career. He should get out of the race, endorse Donald Trump, come back to Florida and spend the remaining time in Florida running the state and go back to being a great governor of Florida. Nikki Haley should just move to Israel. May as well, right? That would be the greatest thing she could do. Move to Israel and, um, you know, go over there and start wars. But the caucus did uh, have some fallout here last night. Vivek Ramaswamy, and I finally was able to say his name correctly, had suspended his presidential campaign and came out and did endorse Donald Trump. So he did this in a very classy way. I have to hand it to him. Uh, We have a a video bite of uh, him uh, making his concession and also endorsing Donald Trump. Watch this. And I'm also making the decision that this has to be an America first candidate in that White House. As I've said since the beginning, there are two America first candidates in this race. And earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulate him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. Well, of course, that was Vivek Ramaswamy closing out his campaign. And as I said, he did that in a classy way. Uh, he, uh, of course, uh, came in about 8% in the Iowa caucus. Uh, Ron DeSantis, he also had uh, something to say as far as his uh, position in the uh, caucus is concerned, saying that the media was against him all the way. Uh, watch this. They, thank you. Thanks so much. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. We love you too. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. They spent almost $50 million attacking us. No one's faced that much all the way just through Iowa. They, the media was against us. They were writing our obituary months ago. They even called the election before people even got a chance to vote. But they were just so excited about the fact that they were predicting uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa. But I can tell you, because of your support, In spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Run, Ron, run back to Florida, please. (laughs) Doc, one sobering thought historically is often the winner of the Iowa caucus does not win the presidency. Right, because it's a different uh, voter base in yes. Iowa. So I'll give you some. Pat Buchanan pa- won Iowa. Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson won uh, Governor Huckabee. Yes. So uh, any uh, of them go to the Ted White House? Cruz, and Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Last any of them go to the White House? No. So historically, the winner of Iowa seldom ends up in the White House. But we've never had this margin of victory no. in, no, this in is a different. candidate. So this is a little bit absolutely different. Absolutely so. different. And it's a, a former president running for a second term after being out of the White House for four years. And so we haven't had a president 
elected like this since Grover Cleveland. That's right. I was going to say Grover, Grover Cleveland. And so, Do you know what got him defeated? We've talked about this before. It's been a while. Well, he he would not um, he 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 sided with the American natives. Yes, the, the American regarding Indians. a reservation. I want to see in Wisconsin. I might not be right about that. <clears throat> and the people turned against him. But then he was able to come back, and, and then recover. he came back. So and he came back. And I had I had a great uncle, my favorite great uncle, uh, name for. Uh, Grover Cleveland. He was uh, born during uh, Cleveland's second term, right. you know. So, uh, but Cleveland, yeah, he was. He's the only president that served a term, was defeated, then came back and won again. Yes. Uh, now, another candidate that's out there that received 151 votes in Iowa last night is Asa Hutchinson. Uh, and uh, as Rick mentioned earlier, uh, this is from KCCI News up in uh, Iowa, uh, saying he's going to reevaluate things, Rick. Uh, kind of re remeasure things after getting only how many votes did he get 151 so he is he going to release his 151 supporters to, to go, who to, <laughs> to go to, to to trump nikki haley des moines register haley takes third in iowa caucuses but says iowans have made it a two-person race how let me think <laughs> about that, that. <laughs> let me think about this nikki haley w- comes in third but says Iowa voters made it a two-person race. Yes, that would be Trump and DeSantis. How does she come up with that? Because she thinks she's got a much stronger base going into New Hampshire. than. Well, how did Iowa make make it a two-person race? That's convoluted thinking. Oh, that's Democrat thinking. Oh, well. Well, you mentioned um, how the... uh, the news media was responding to it. I, I, I picked out a couple of uh, video clips today. Uh, this is um, Joy Reid on MSNBC. And She's how got she, a, how she gets away with saying stuff like this <laughs> because it's MSNBC. They can be as racist and bigoted as they want to. And yet, if a, a white anchor had said the same thing, uh, but opposite race, right? Well, let's listen to what she said, and then we'll just we'll just flip the words around and see how that would work. On another news network. Here she is. But, you know, I feel like the important sort of data point and, you know, Steve talks about it a lot. He's he's going to probably talk about it a little more tonight is that these, these are white Christians. That this is a state that is overrepresented, overrepresented by white Christians that are going to participate in these caucuses, especially tonight. Um, I today, earlier today, reached out to Robert Jones, Robbie Jones, um, from the Public Religion Research Institute, knowing that we were going to talk about Iowa. And this is a hyper evangelical white state. And he said the following to me. Iowa is about 61 percent white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41 percent white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians. And he said the following. Because I asked him, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. And he said the following, they see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it back to them. 
all the things that we think about, about electability, about, you know, what are people gaming out, or mm -hmm. none of that matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it is yours, and that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a, is a fraudulent American, is a less, a, less, a less real American, then you don't care about electability. You care about what God has given it's so racist. I, I don't know a single person that believes that. She does. Yeah, she does. She does. Racist, bigoted, MSNBC. Um, is there a reason why white evangelical Christians can't vote? Does she want to take away their vote? Is that what she's implying? We should disenfranchise them because they're white Christians? I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yes, that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, I think if they had their druthers, they would do that. They would do exactly that. They would have a religious test, and if you aren't an atheist or a liberal, you wouldn't get to vote. That's so. what they'd like to do. Rachel Maddow, the lesbian over at MSNBC, she said, uh, what, what we're witnessing is the rise of fascism in the United States. And the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not, if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government, the leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm -hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a yeah. much mm -hmm. bigger part mm -hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before. And I know because I've been studying this. But once you have radicalized one major party so that those are the preferences of the people who adhere to your party, the leaders interchangeable. Mm -hmm. And yes, Trump is is sometimes what we call it. Mm -hmm. MAGA movement is probably a better way to do it. But there is an authoritarian mm -hmm. movement inside yes. Republican politics that isn't being bamboozled by Trump. Mm -hmm. They are pushing Trump That's to right. get more and more right. extreme because the more extreme things he says, the more they, the like more they adhere and to him. That, yeah. and, and that is coming from the, a very large proportion of the American right that adheres to the Republican Party. And that's why this is a Republican Party problem more than it is the problem mm -hmm. of one man and his leader. And we, and we you notice what they had on the screen? Yes. On, on the lower thirds, 66% of the people who voted in Iowa said that Biden is not a legitimate president, was not legitimately elected. Back in 2020, yes. See, what frustrates them is that after four years of lying, cheating, everything that they've done, there's still a significant number of people who believe they're liars. <laughs> and thank goodness they do. Yes. You, it's because hard. Because they are lying. They are lying. And, and the average middle-class American citizen knows that they're liars. So we're going to take the next maybe 15 minutes, and we're going to show you how they are plotting to derail the Trump second term. They're, they've al they're already in motion. Yes. Well, it's been in motion for a very long time. For a long time. Look, I am of the belief, as I've said before, Barack Obama is running the Democratic Party. He's running the White House. Obama is the man in charge. He is a, he is a Communist Party street organizer. Supreme. Supreme organizer. The only skill the man has is 
organizing for communist revolution. But he's good at it. Oh, he's the best. He's the best communist revolutionary that's ever been produced out of Chicago. And he's he's running the communist revolution in America. I tried to tell people in 2008 that Senator Obama was a communist. I had a lot of conservatives who who just said, Rick, that's too radical, too extreme. We can't go there. It's okay. Just watch. Those same people now are talking about, we've been taken over by communists. Yeah, I tried to tell you in 2008. This was the beginning of a communist revolution in America. We're now many years into it. Okay. So back into 2020, there was the Transition Integrity, Integrity Project. And, and we're, I'm reading here from... Wikipedia, which is the expert on everything. Right. If it's in Wikipedia, you know it's true. Wikipedia said the Transition Integrity Project was a series of political scenario exercises in the United States at the beginning of June 2020, involving over 100 current and former senior government and campaign leaders, academics, journalists, polling experts, and former federal and state government officials. The exercises examine potential disruptions to the 2020 presidential campaigns and the transition. It was not an organization, but a short-term project run under the auspices of the organization Protect Democracy. Doesn't that sound just just wonderful? So who funded, who organized and funded Protect Democracy, Ari? That's another project to study. It was initially organized in 2019, by Rosa Brooks, that's her right there, a law professor at Georgetown and former Pentagon senior official, and Niels Gilman, former vice chancellor of the University of California, Berkeley, a historian. Other now, before I, I move on to the other uh, participants, um, I, I, I want to show, uh, let's put Rosa Brooks picture back up here again and so she's the one who was in charge of this operation in 2020 this was the outfit that basically coordinated the color revolution to take down trump in 2020 yes it was one of the organizations rosa brooks her mother was barbara ingrick that's her mom Barbara Ingrick Alexander, uh, she's passed away, she died in 2022, was an American author and political activist. She was a prominent figure in the Democratic Socialists of America. So old mom was a commie. Yes. And handed down her commie DNA to her daughter. To her daughter. And carried on the work of the Communist Party. And just to see how this uh, transition integrity project is run is classic communism. Mm-hmm. It, we're not organized. We're just a loose knit group of, sure. of friends and right. uh, you know uh, scholars that are just discussing things. Yes, you can't. We're not coordinating. You anything. can't pin us down. Right. We're not going to leave a paper trail. Who were some of the members? Listen to this. This is a 2020 group. Michael Steele. Former chairman of the Republican National Committee. Yes. 
a, a rhino. He was lieutenant governor of my home state, Maryland. Back then, I thought he was a good guy. I thought, wow, we got a black Republican lieutenant governor of the state of Maryland? Right. I didn't know he was a rhino. I know it now. He outed himself during the Trump years. John Podesta, Mr. Spirit Cooking himself. Right. Former chief of staff to Bill Clinton. Jennifer Granham, former Democratic governor of Michigan. Trey Grayson, former secretary of state of Kentucky. Donna Brazell. Yes. A former Democratic National Committee acting chair and the person who cheated and gave the debate questions to Hillary Clinton. Yes. And then lied about it. And then after the election, admitted she lied. And got her old job back. Got her old job back. <laughs> Billy Crystal. Not the singer. Not the w- comedian. Not the comedian. William Crystal. Journalist. That's not really what he is. Um, his father was a Trotskyite. Yes. How many of you know what a Trotskyite is? See, that's going way back to the Bolshevik Revolution. His father was a Trotskyite. Right. And yet Bill Crystal, you'll hear him on all the talking head shows. Yes. All the conservative talking Republican. Heads. Oh, yes. But he's a Trotskyite Republican. Okay. Uh, Edward Luce, journalist, Max Boot, journalist, David Frum. He's not a journalist. None of these guys. They're, they're all socialist activists. Right. Okay. So what was the purpose of the Transition Integrity Project, Rick? According to Wikipedia, it was launched out of concern that the Trump administration may seek to manipulate, ignore, undermine, or disrupt the 2020 presidential election and transition process. Let me translate that. It was formed to counteract whatever Donald Trump did when he figured out the election was rigged. Yes. Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump knew that the election was rigged. Uh, He was surrounded by traitors. Half the people that he appointed were traitors to him. I mean, it's his fault. This is one of the one of my gripes about Mr. Trump. He he appointed people that stabbed him in the back and didn't appoint the people who fought for him. Right. So he turned over. He delegated to somebody the power to appoint people in his administration. The person that he delegated to, whoever it was, was an enemy, a secret enemy. Because that person brought in enemies and surrounded Mr. Trump with people who would do him in. And that's what they did. So when Mr. Trump figured out the election was rigged. He thought he could fight it. He thought he could, but he was surrounded by a lot of people who rigged it. (laughs) Yes. And so they were tripping him up after the election. And he did a horrible job. He really did. He did a horrible job trying to explain to the American people that the election was rigged. He'd, he would give instructions. He'd give, he'd, he'd give orders, and nobody would do what he told them to do. Right. And so by, by January 6th, he was frustrated. Which is exactly where they wanted him. That's where they wanted him. 
They walked him into the trap. And then they had FBI provocateurs at the rally on January 6th to start the riots. He, he fell into their traps. Okay, I hope he's wiser now. I hope he's figured them out. But this, this uh, transition integrity project, was, this was just one of Obama's projects. Just one. They had many projects to derail. They had Black Lives Matter. They had Antifa. They had all kinds of things going on. Black Lives Matter. Remember the riots in 2020? That was part of the— Mostly peaceful. That was part of the communist destabilization of Trump. And then when he brought Millie into the White House, said, hey, we've got a revolution going on here. Millie's like, yeah, I like it. Millie's part of it. Millie's one of them. Everywhere Trump turned, there was a traitor. Another communist. Another communist embedded in the country. So, anyhow, where are we at right now? I want I want you to listen. Well, uh, before we go to it, uh, I'm going to go back to August 2020. And this is a WBUR public broadcasting radio interview with, uh, is it Rosa um, Brooks? I think, I think they are interviewing Rosa Brooks. I heard they also have a cut of Chris Wallace interviewing President Trump as well in this. And, All right. I, I think, the, I think the, uh, the WBUR is an interview with uh, Rosa Brooks. Let's, let's listen. This is 2020. One of the pillars of democracy is the peaceful transfer of power. Well, a bipartisan team of experts has been gaming out a frightening scenario. What if the loser in this year's presidential election doesn't concede? Here's what President Trump told Chris Wallace on Fox News earlier this month. Can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election? I have to see. Look, you, I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. Rosa Brooks, who worked in President Obama's Defense Department, is the co-organizer of the Transition Integrity Project. Last month, this bipartisan group of political operatives, academics, and former government officials spent a day exploring what might happen if the election goes off the rails. Brooks told me it's fair to say all of them participated out of concern for this fall's election. We had about 70 or 80 people. We put them on to teams. We had a Team Trump, a Trump campaign team, a Team Biden. We had GOP and Democratic elected official teams. We had a, a media team and teams representing sort of career civil servants. And we essentially did a number of exercises where we gave them each a scenario. Um, and one of our scenarios was a decisive Biden win. One was a decisive Trump win. One was a narrow Biden win. One was a period of extended uncertainty, as in the election of 2000. In each of our exercises, the Trump campaign team came right out of the gate, tried to stop the counting of mail-in ballots, tried to assert that they were fraudulent, in one case closed the post office to prevent additional ballots from reaching the ballot counters, in another case uh, seized and tried to sequester the ballots to prevent additional counting. In all of our scenarios, the team that feared an electoral a ballot count loss attempted to persuade legislators, state-level legislators and governors sympathetic to them to send rival slates of electors to Congress. We had both sides attempting to mobilize street protesters. And I can say that in each of the exercises, the players playing the Trump team were significantly more ruthless and willing to play fast and loose with, with the truth than the team playing the Biden campaign. It seems like one of the big takeaways is that 
a lot of what governs the transfer of power is not rules, but traditions. And this is a president who has not hesitated to abandon all kinds of traditions. I think that's absolutely right. And the president tweeted out just today a comment suggesting that he believed the presidential election perhaps should be delayed. Which we need to note the president does not have the authority to do. Which the president does not have the authority to do. But... If you are President Trump and you don't care whether you have the authority to do it, you what you certainly can do is you can call on governors who do have the authority to do that and ask them to do it for you. You can also attempt to use disinformation campaign to keep people from turning out and voting. You know, if you announce the night before the election... I have canceled the election, don't go tomorrow. You don't necessarily need to actually have that power if you can persuade enough confused voters that they shouldn't bother to vote because the polls are closed. That's a win. You've been really clear that you don't have a crystal ball and you're not predicting the future. That said, can you just take us into the room when the simulation was over and everybody was kind of taking stock of what they experienced? What was that conversation like? I think people were kind of shell-shocked. I think all of us, whether we're Democrats or Republicans, you know, everyone has a little bit of a a bias towards stability in the status quo. We say things like, oh, come on, it's always been fine. The U.S. is fine. Everything will be fine. Look at the election of 2000. There weren't riots. There wasn't a coup. It was fine. And I think actually pushing people to say, yes, but what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Who does what next? And have them really walk through that and see what happened if you had a group of people who were willing to play fast and loose with the rules was really shocking. Um, I think it really shook people's faith in the notion that the system won't let someone try to manipulate or steal the election. I think it really shocked people out of that and, and made them see there's a very real chance that it won't be fine if you all sit back and just assume it will be fine. <laughs> if you want it to be fine, if you want this to be a normal, free and fair election, you need to be thinking right now about how we protect the integrity of the election and the transition. Rosa Brooks is a professor of law at Georgetown. She worked in the Defense Department during the Obama administration, and she is co-organizer of the Transition Integrity Project. Remember, her mother was a longtime communist. Yes. Don't forget that. That interview was uh, July 30th, 2020. Yes. Doc, most conservatives, Republicans, Christians, patriots, MAGA supporters— Most of them were unaware of anything like that taking place in 2020. We talked about it. Yes, but I'm talking about the general conservative voter base. Right. They were going to the Trump rally. Well, actually, they they weren't the rallies because COVID had shut things down. Right. Okay. But nobody was really paying attention to what the deep state was doing to remove Trump. So when she said they had scenarios, what will Trump do about the uh, mail-in ballots? What the scenarios were about is we need to war game Trump's reaction when he figures out how we stole the election. Yes, you got it. We need to have our responses prepared when they figure out what we did. That's what, that's what these scenarios were about. Yes. 
gaming out the response to what Trump would do. Right. When he discovered that the election was stolen and they beat him, they beat him twice. They beat him with a rigged election and they beat him with a rigged public relations propaganda campaign. And he was not he was no match for them. Right. He, he didn't know how to fight the propaganda campaign. Because he really, Donald Trump is not a political animal. He's not. He, but most he's the cons- bull in the china shop. Doc, most conservatives and patriots and so forth, they don't know how to fight the propaganda campaign. Right. And now it worked so well, Rick. They're it de- worked so well. They're doing it now for 24. And... I mean, they're coming right out. This is Huffington Post, all right? This is uh, uh, last week of December. Republican group sounds the alarm on wannabe dictator Trump and scaling the ad. So there was a, uh, a an ad released. <laughs> they don't even change the name very much. The Republican <laughs> Accountability Project. Yeah, they started just, by Democrats. Yes, the Republican Accountability Project. Uh, and there's there was a new ad that was re- released that... My, we've got to we've got to stop Donald Trump. He's fascist. He's the reincarnation of Hitler and Genghis Khan and everything else. Did you notice over? I guess it started back in December when you start seeing uh, talking head after talking head, politician after politician, journalist after journalist saying Trump's a dictator. Trump's a dictator. Yes. Trump's a dictator. Why? Because he's going to win. Yes. <laughs> but they're planting the thought. See, they've already war gamed out. Their strategy. They've already wargamed it out, Doc. And part of that wargaming is to brand him as a dictator. Right. So when he wins the election... It's going to be dictator Trump. No, we have to stop him because he's a dictator. Yes. That's the plan right now. Yes. We're going to brand him as a dictator. When he wins, we're going to step in and say, we know he won, but we can't let him... Be sworn in because he's a dictator. Right. The communists are brilliant. So we're going to show you the ad, um, Dictator Donald Trump. This isn't hyperbole. A vote for Donald Trump uh, may mean the last election that you ever get to vote in. This is an exaggeration. He's a threat to democracy. This is Donald J. Trump. He was the 45th president of the United States. He caused an insurrection at the Capitol. And sorry to ruin your Christmas, but he's running again. This guy is openly running as a wannabe dictator. Trump said he would terminate the Constitution so he could be president again. Do you know who also did that? Mussolini, Chavez, Pinochet. All of them shelved their constitutions to centralize power. Trump is planning to purge tens of thousands of civil servants and replace them with loyalists. Authoritarian Viktor Orban used the same tactic to dismantle Hungary's democracy. Donald Trump's chances of winning are very real. The alarm is going off. Everyone needs to wake up. We have a choice between protecting our democracy or letting Trump destroy it. It's time to get off the sidelines. We can't let Donald Trump get close to the Oval Office again. He's as bad as Viktor Orban in Hungary. (laughs) Wow. And what is Viktor Orban's crime? He's against the war with Ukraine. Yes. Which tells you this is all part of the same group, Doc. Now, I've got less than eight minutes, and I, I, I want to go into an NBC News report Fears grow that Trump will use the military in dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House. This is today. 
they're doing the same thing. Yes. They're laying out the same strategy. He's a dictator. He's going to use the military to run the country. We can't let him be in the White House. If you love America, you have to stop Trump. That's the message. That's right. So NBC said, Donald Trump is sparking fears among those who understand the inner workings of the Pentagon. You mean the bowels of the Pentagon? You're talking about the deep state in the creepy corners of the Pentagon? That he would convert the nonpartisan U.S. military into the muscular arm of his political agenda as he makes comments about dictatorship and devalues the checks and balances that underpin the nation's two-century-old democracy. Now, bracing for Trump's potential return. Listen, folks, listen to this. A loose-knit loose network of public interest groups and lawmakers is quietly devising plans to try to foil any efforts to expand presidential power, which could include pressuring the military to cater to his political needs. Those taking part in the effort told NBC News that they are studying Trump's past actions and 2024 policy positions so that they will be ready if he wins in November. That involves preparing to take legal action, lawfare. Yes. They're going to wage lawfare. Yes. And send letters to Trump appointees spelling out consequences that they would face if they undermine constitutional norms. <laughs> We're going to threaten the cabinet. Yes. Or any potential appointee anywhere. Now, Mary McCord, they've trotted her out. We could do a, a whole show about Mary McCord, executive director of the Institution for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. Wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, Mary, Betsy Ross herself. <laughs> We're ready, starting to put together a team, excuse me, we're already starting to put together a team to think through the most damaging types of things that he, Trump, might do so that we're ready to bring lawsuits if we have to. In other words, on his first day in the White House. Oh, no, not the first day in the White House. Oh, yeah, before he ever gets there. Right. They're going to start suing. The day of the election. Yes. They're going to start suing. They're going to get court orders. They're going to tie his hands before he ever walks into the White House. Well, listen to this. Part of the aim is to identify like-minded organizations and create a coalition to challenge Trump from day one. And those taking part in the discussions uh, said some participants are combing through policy papers being crafted for a future conservative administration. They're also watching the interviews that Trump allies are giving to the press for clues to how a Trump sequel would look. Other participants include Democracy Forward, an organization that took the Trump administration to court more than 100 times, Rick, during his administration, and Protect Democracy, an anti-authoritarian group. The Protect Democracy folks are the ones that invented the Transition Integrity Project. Yes. Remember? That's right. So it all fits together here, folks. The same people. And any other uh, group of people that did this, this would be called racketeering. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? They would. It fall under RICO laws. Uh, whatever they accuse you of doing is what they're doing. Yes. So they're accusing Donald Trump 
Look at look at the lawsuits, uh, the, the 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 criminal action that they have against him in multiple states, and particularly the one that he was he tried to prevent the transition of power to Biden. He tried to overturn the election. This is exact. They've accused him in court of interfering with the electoral process. This is what they're doing. Yes. They are actually interfering with it. says we're preparing for litigation and preparing to use every tool in the toolbox, Rick, that our democracy provides to provide the American people an ability to fight back, that includes, to fight back against that winning in, an election. That includes riots. The riots are coming in 24. Yes. We believe that this is an existential moment. I always like to throw that out for American democracy, and it's incumbent on everybody to do their part. Now, among the least understood tools available to a president is the Insurrection Act. Vaguely worded, it gives a president considerable discretion in deciding what constitutes an uprising and when it is okay to deploy active duty military in response, experts say. And so what they're gaming out now is how to prevent Donald Trump from using the Insurrection yes. Act. Trump, they're, they're afraid Trump in the White House, as commander-in-chief, is going to tell the military, this is a communist revolution. I am activating the Insurrection Act, and we are going to round up the communists and put them in federal detention centers. Doc, that's what they're afraid of. They're terrified of it. They're terrified that he is going to tell the American people this is a communist revolution. We have to round up the commies. And so they're painting him as a dictator who is going to use the military to crush his political opponents. But the truth is, they're communists. And they plan to destroy this. They've done a great deal in destroying the country so far. And once again, it seems like this came to me yesterday. You know, in 2016, during the primaries, I had this brief vision and I saw a door that was going shut. And so it, it, it was at the, you know, the door well. You know, the door frame, the door was going shut, and a hand above threw a, a doorstop, right. like a rubber doorstop. And it went down, and it blocked the door from shutting. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, Donald Trump is my doorstop. And this was 2016. 2016. He was still in the primaries. It was somewhere around April. Whatever the door going shut... God was using Donald Trump to prevent that door from shutting. Do you think it might have been war with Russia? Yes, because Hillary Clinton won at war with Russia. The Russians, remember, were having war drills. Yes. Where are we at now? We're on the verge of war with Russia. War with Russia. Donald Trump is the doorstop. He's preventing the deep state from going to war with Russia. we got to take a break. We'll pick this up tomorrow. Coming up, Morning Venom. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter.
Hey, actually, we got six minutes before morning manna. Uh, before, while I'm thinking about it, uh, the folks at American Reserves said they are going to extend the promotion until the end of this week, which would be Sunday. Right. Sunday night. Buy any side bucket, regular price, get the second side bucket for 50% off. So, so apparently, you guys out there are buying a lot of side buckets because American Reserve said, we love the True News audience. Keep this going. Um, they are buying the buckets. So keep it, keep it up. It's a good deal. The side buckets are the meat bucket, which is a beef and, and chicken. chicken. Right. And then you have a vegetable bucket, a fruit bucket, uh, powdered eggs, and uh, whey milk. Yes. Okay. So you can buy any of those, mix and match. You don't, and you can buy all of one. You can mix them. It doesn't matter. But the, the promotion is on the side buckets. And it's the 50% off is on another side bucket, not another item, a side bucket. Right. So they're going to extend it until the end of Sunday, Sunday night this week. So go get it. Get yourself some food. Uh, we're talking about the effort to derail President Trump in a second term. And so I was talking about the vision that the Lord gave me in 2016. I didn't fully understand it. I just understood that Donald Trump was a doorstop that was stopping this door from closing on America. And I was interpreting it, Doc, as judgment, that the door of judgment was going to shut. But now I'm, I'm looking at it as, no, it's, it's the war. They were counting on Hillary Clinton in 2016 to bring on the war with Russia. Russia said there's going to be a nuclear war if Hillary Clinton's in the White House. They had a massive civil defense drill, I think, in October right. of 2016. Just prior to the election. I think like 40 million Russians went into underground bunkers. They thought Hillary was going to win. I think we were that close to World War III with Hillary Clinton. Trump was the doorstop. And remember the scenario she put out there on how it was going to happen, that there was going to be some sort of cyber attack yes. by Russia on the U.S. and that we could respond with nuclear weapons. With nuclear weapons. That's right. So Trump <clears throat> was the doorstop. No war with Russia. What did they accuse him of? He's a Russian stooge. But they had that lie prepared before the election. Yes. And they were planning the fake evidence all through 2016, knowing that if he does win, we'll lock him down with the Russia hacked the election lie. They told that lie for four years. Russia hacked the election. So now here we are. Trump is returning to the White House. They're this close under Biden having World War Three. That's all we've been talking about for weeks. That's World it. War Three. They're the... All through 23. We're this close right now to World War III. Germany. We just saw the documents yesterday. They, Germany saying... The whole agenda planned out saying it could It could start as early as February 24. They've got to get this war started with Russia. But it appears that the year is 2025. They can't have Trump in the White House. They have to have a patsy in the White House that will go to war with Russia. So once again, 
is Trump the doorstop that's stopping the war. That's what I'm asking myself now. Whatever problems the man has, whatever flaws, put it aside. Is God using Donald Trump to prevent us from being destroyed in a nuclear war? If that's his purpose, then get him in the White House. If that's his purpose, I'll put up with everything else he does wrong. If that's his purpose, to stop a world war, then let the man be in the White House. But I'm starting to believe that this is what it's about. Because you've got the entire deep state lined up to make sure that he's not in the White House. And that same deep state is the same one that's prompting World War III as well. It is. It's the same one. And you go back to the Insurrection Act. It says... uh, Among the least understood tools to a president is the Insurrection Act, which gives the president considerable discretion in deciding what constitutes an uprising and when it is okay to deploy active duty military in response. Then it quotes uh, Senator Blumenthal. There is an array of horrors that could result from Donald Trump's unrestricted use of the Insurrection Act. A malignantly motivated president could use it in a vast variety of dictatorial ways, unless at some point the military itself resisted what they deemed to be an unlawful order. Mr. Cohen. um, No, this is not. uh, This is John Bolton. Yeah, Bolton. (laughs) Bomb Bolton. A second Trump term would be. Day after day, a constitutional crisis. The Justice Department one day, the Pentagon the next, the Homeland Security the next. It would be unremitting. Former Republican Senator Defense Secretary William Cohen, we're 30 seconds away from the Armageddon clock if Trump goes in the White House. I think we're seeing the plan, right? I think it's it's shaping up. We see how they're going to try to stop him. Now, we've got morning man up. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus for the presence of your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds, to understand your word, to see deeply into your word, and to reveal more clearly to us the majesty, the greatness of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Doc, if you would read 22, 23, 24, Matthew 1. Okay, Matthew chapter 1, I'm reading from the King James. Uh, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. 
Amen. So we see in these verses a, a profound connection between the events surrounding the birth of Jesus and an ancient prophecy. The evangelist Matthew pauses in his narrative to emphasize that everything that has happened with the conception of Jesus was not a mere coincidence, but a deliberate fulfillment of God's prophetic plan. In the dream, the angel informed Joseph that Mary would bear a son. The angel did not say to Joseph, Mary will bear your son. Instead, the angel said that Mary would bear a son. Luke shed more light on the, the mysterious conception of Jesus inside Mary's womb. Luke's account of the virgin birth enlightens readers to know the angel's response to Mary's puzzlement about how she could become pregnant as a virgin. So Jesus Christ can rightfully be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So the prophecy in question, originally spoken by the Lord through the prophet, foretold that a virgin would give birth to a son, and that he, he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this, this is a remarkable declaration of the divine presence and purpose in the birth of Jesus. The prophecy was delivered many centuries before Jesus' birth, and it now finds its fulfillment in his birth in Bethlehem. The name Emmanuel holds deep theological significance. It signifies the incarnation of God among humanity. It underscores the belief that Jesus is not an ordinary child, but the embodiment of God's presence and salvation among his people. Matthew proceeded with his account of the nativity by bringing into the narrative two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. In the dream, the angel informed Joseph that Mary would bear a son. As I said earlier, he did not say to Joseph, Mary will bear your son. This a son, the son is God's son. As I said, Luke gave us more insight regarding the, the response to Mary's question. How could she become pregnant? In Luke chapter 1, verses 35-37, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. Wherefore also 
The holy thing which is begotten shall be called the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, thy kinswoman, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her that was called barren. For no word from God shall be void of power. Hmm. Praise God. Well, that, sentence, that last sentence right there, you, you should just meditate on that all day. Yes. For no word from God shall be void of power. There's nothing spoken by God that is powerless. His power is in his word. And that's why you need to know his word and you need to speak his word. And what Satan wants you and me to do every day is to deny his word. And we deny his word when we speak words of unbelief. So the battle for your mind is the angels want you to speak the word of God. And the demons want you to speak the word of Satan. Yes. You have to choose which word you're going to speak. For no word from God shall be void of power. The angel revealed to Joseph two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. Matthew 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Yes. Now all this has come to pass, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, and then, Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. So we have these two names, Jesus, Emmanuel. It's the same. It's two names for the same child. Yes. Two divine names. For the same child. It was Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Whom the angel quoted. So Isaiah lived approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Yet it was Jesus who formed Isaiah in Isaiah's mother's womb. Yes. And it was Jesus who inspired Isaiah to prophesy about his birth seven centuries before it happened. God is a long-range thinker and planner. He knew the events, the circumstances, the path of your life before you were conceived in your mother's womb. And, you know, Rick, this is one of the most attacked verses in the Bible. One of the Why most is that, attacked, Because it hit the... It, Everything hinges on the fulfillment of this prophecy by Jesus. Now, the virgin shall conceive. And so there are some that say, well, that word virgin doesn't really, back in Isaiah, that word virgin doesn't really mean virgin. It means a young maiden. And so she wasn't necessarily a virgin. Uh, and uh, then they would also say, well, Matthew is uh, kind of pigeonholing this prophecy into here when actually it was a prophecy given to Ahaz by Isaiah. Uh, 
So it's one of the most attacked passages. And the reason why it's attacked is because if you can, if you can eliminate the virgin birth of Christ, everything else falls apart. It's like a, That's right. giant, like a giant Jenga tower, and you take out that bottom block and the whole tower comes down. Uh, right. Two things, uh, the gospel hinges on two uh, primary doctrines, the uh, the virgin birth and the resurrection. It's Amen. bookends of Jesus' life. And that, Amen. that's why those are the most attacked doctrines uh, on the life of Christ, his virgin birth and his resurrection. And they're actually tied a, together, really. A, a miraculous birth and a miraculous rebirth. Yes. So let's talk about this word virgin and what Doc just mentioned about why some people question this prophecy. What did Isaiah prophesy sometime in the 8th century before Christ? It was one of those marvelous and mysterious dual fulfillment prophecies in the Holy Bible, meaning... It was fulfilled twice. This this concept trips up Christians when they're studying the Old Testament. You'll You'll see a prophecy, and many times it has to be fulfilled twice. It'll be fulfilled in the natural, then it's fulfilled in the spiritual. So let's start with the natural. (coughs) Doc mentioned King Ahaz. So sometime between the years 740 and 735 B.C., the Assyrian Empire was advancing toward Israel and Syria and Judah. Syria and Israel prepared to resist the Assyrian invasion and sought military assistance from Judah in the upcoming war. Judah's king Ahaz, however, walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. You can read these details in 2 Kings chapter 16. So, in other words, the king of Judah was a New Age pagan. Yes. That's a pretty good definition there, Rick. He would fit right in today, wouldn't he? He would. He's just a New Age pagan. There's nothing new about the New Age. It's it's Old Age. It's Old Age. Um, Pantheism, yes. Yeah. Yeah, pantheism. So, in response to Ahaz, Ahaz's spiritual waywardness, the kings of Israel and Syria came together and decided that there needed to be a regime change in Judah. So they plotted to overthrow Ahaz and replace him with a king who would join them in the war against Assyria. God, however did not allow this plan to go through. He dispatched prophet Isaiah to comfort and encourage Ahaz, even though the king sinned greatly against Jehovah. 
God sought to strengthen Ahaz's confidence that Judah would prevail against the Assyrians. Jehovah offered to give Ahaz an astounding sign as proof that he would defend and deliver Judah when the invading army arrived. Ahaz was so faithless that he declined God's offer to provide him with a miraculous sign. And God went beyond his gracious offer. The Lord himself told Ahaz the sign he would give him. Yes. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What was God's true purpose here? He's trying to get Judah, I mean Ahaz, the king of Judah, to simply believe in him. Yes, that's, that's, that's at the core of this, Rick. It's at the core. God wanted to be believed. And he's saying to the king of Judah, how can you sit there on the throne of Judah and not believe in the God of Judah? And God himself yeah. even said even said to Ahaz, ask me for a sign. Ask yes. for a sign that I may prove and, myself to you. God, Judah God, said was no. reaching out, God was reaching out to Ahaz. And, and Ahaz said, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And then God said, okay, well, I'll give you the sign. And then here's this prophecy. Now, understand, this is a prophecy that was given for Ahaz, and yet it's a dual fulfillment prophecy that's connected to the birth of Jesus. 700 years later. Right. The Lord said to Ahaz, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So, you know, theologians and Bible scholars argue and differ on the identity of the child born sometime around 735 B.C. as assigned to Ahaz. There was a child born then, but it wasn't the Christ child. Theologians and scholars, well, Bible-believing theologians and scholars do not disagree about the identity of the one born 700 years later right. who would deliver God's people, the one who would save them from their sins, and that man is Jesus. Remember, we, we learned yesterday, Jesus is the, is the Greek version of Joshua. Jesus is named Joshua, and, and Jesus is the Greek version of the name. Emmanuel means God with us. What is the ultimate significance of the name? For the answer to that question, we must return to the beginning of this lesson. Jesus is from heaven. We are from earth. God's humankind direct connection to Almighty God was severed in the Garden of Eden 
by the first Adam's sin. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to earth as a human embryo inside the womb of a young virgin woman, Mary. Jesus lived a sinless life and was crucified by the Jews and the Romans for our sins. Yes. He resurrected himself from the dead. That's no minor feat. It's very impressive. If you don't think it's not impressive, try it yourself. Jesus ascended back to heaven to take his seat at the right hand of God, always interceding for us on earth who believe in his name. And after returning to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to earth to act as the governor of the kingdom of God on our planet. You've got to see the Holy Spirit as the governor. Yes. Jesus is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is on earth. And the Holy Spirit is the governor of the kingdom. When we believe in the name of Jesus and baptized into his church, we receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. He enters us, awakens our dead spirit, takes up residence inside our body, which becomes the new temple of God. Therefore, the child conceived of the Holy Spirit and born to a virgin became God with us. Yes. He cannot get any closer to you than residing inside your body. The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit fulfills God's promise to us every second of each day when we are in Christ and he is in us. Matthew 18 verse 20 Jesus said and lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world. How is he with us always? By the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. God with us. So, let's go back to the angel's message. The angel told Joseph seven things. Number one, do not be afraid. Number two, take Mary as your wife. Number three, the child inside her is is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Number four, Mary will bear a son. Number five, his name is Jesus. Number six, he will save God's people from their sins. Number seven, the miraculous conception of Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Yeah, it's interesting here. It's the angel quoting the Bible here. Yes. Of course, he's quoting the Word of God. It's the angel quoting the scriptures here. It, it, this isn't an add-on by Matthew. Matthew is retelling the story as it was uh, transmitted to him. This is the message that the angel said. This is the prophecy from Isaiah. And you, we can argue all, all day back uh, in King Ahaz's day how it was fulfilled, but the angel said it was fulfilled here. The promise right. was fulfilled here. The angel believed that it was a virgin. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, the, angel so, knew, the angel knew the identity of the embryo. That's right. So 
you know, Isaiah, throughout the book of Isaiah, he spoke of Jesus. It's, it's throughout the entire book of Isaiah. But this particular prophecy begins in chapter 7, verse 14. A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And the prophecy ends in Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son. Unto is us a son is given. So through Isaiah's prophetic utterance, God gave mankind the hope that he would mysteriously appear on earth through a miraculous event that would involve a virgin giving birth to a son whose name would be Emmanuel. Unto us, who's us? Fallen humanity. A God child will be born. Unto us, sinful men and women, God will give us his holy son. There's one more thing I, I want to mention, maybe two things here about um, Isaiah's prophecy. Dispensationalists, the John Darby group, the Cyrus Schofield group, they are fond of teaching that God divided human history into eight dispensations. I don't agree with their theology. However, I see in Isaiah's prophecy four distinct ages where God interacted with mankind. <clears throat> the dispensationalists teach that God dealt differently with man in eight different eras of time and how you were, quote, saved, depended on what age you lived in. Right. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. But I want to show you four distinct ages where God interacted with mankind. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for a child is born unto us, a son is given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This focus on his name. Notice, singular name, but described in four ways. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the first age in the history of mankind. Wonderful Counselor. That's the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve knew God. Age number two, mighty God. That's the age when God, Jehovah, revealed to the patriarchs and the prophets from Abraham to Moses to Malachi. He revealed himself to them. The, the knowledge of God revealed to the Hebrew people through the prophets, mighty God. Age number three, everlasting father. That is God as he is known to us during the church age. Age number four, prince of peace. That's Jesus, our king for eternity. So 
Let's move on to, I'm going to back up, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So in this very crucial moment in, in the biblical story, Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, finds himself visited in a dream by an angel. And this encounter carries a profound theological and symbolic importance. The angel instructs Joseph to name the child that Mary is carrying, Jesus. This act of naming is more than a, a mere convention. It, it, it holds a deep spiritual significance. The name Jesus, as I said, is derived from Yeshua, Yeshua, which is from jo uh, um, Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. And that name encapsulates the essence of Jesus's mission on earth to save humanity, to deliver them from bondage of sin. So the, the angel's message to Joseph emphasized that this baby will have a role to save God's people from their sins. And it sets the stage for the central theme of Jesus's ministry, his life, his purpose, to provide redemption and salvation to all who believe in him. So by entrusting him with, entrusting Joseph with the responsibility of naming the child, the angel is underscoring Joseph's role as Jesus's stepfather to take care of the, of the boy, to to raise him, to guard him. So let's get to this concept of Jesus as the new Joshua. Trying to wrap your mind around this thought. Approximately 1,400 years before Jesus was born as a human baby in a Bethlehem manger, Jesus as God formed a boy in a Hebrew woman's womb in Egypt and gave the embryo a soul. Yes. And his name was Joshua. It's the same human name that the baby in the Bethlehem manger gave himself. You know, Jesus named himself. <laughs> Have you ever heard of an unborn baby naming himself? That's our Jesus. You know, as we as we sing in church, there's something about that name. Yes. Yeshua, Yeshua, whichever pronunciation you want to use. It is the Aramaic word that means that God will save his people. The, the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Yeshua, Yeshua. He saves, he delivers, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Our Savior's name tells us what he will do for us. He will save us. Save us from what? Our sins. Joshua is the English version of the Aramaic Hebrew name Yeshua. The Greek transliteration of Yeshua is Eos. This is, and the English version of Eos is Jesus. So don't let anybody tell you, because you, there's these groups out there, these uh, sacred name groups and Hebrew roots people, and they'll tell you that you cannot use the name Jesus. That is blasphemy. That is blasphemy. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus are all the same names. I've said this before to give you an understanding. All right, my name, Rick, my real name, my legal name is Richard. Richard is the English version. The Hispanic version is Ricardo. The French version is Richard. It and, doesn't and what, matter. And what does Miss Susan call you? I can't say that on the Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, but it doesn't matter. If, if I were in a room and a French person walked in and said, Richard, I would turn and say, yes, good to see you. If, if, if a Latino walked in and said, Ricardo, come here and let me talk to me. I would know they're talking to me. Um, the only person, the only, the only people that call me Richard is the IRS, <laughs> you know? So, um, and my grandmother called me Ricky. All right. So all these names are the same. I answered to all of them. So it doesn't matter which of these names, how you're pronounced it. He, Jesus knows his name. Yes. Does he know you? That's the real question. Does he yes, know your he knows name? you and he knows his name and and it is Satan who's trying to put doubt into your mind about which name to use. He will answer you when you call on him. Don't worry about it. He knows his name. So this miracle child in Mary's womb represented salvation from eternal spiritual death and God's ever faithful protection in this life. Joshua, the deliverer of the Hebrew people, and Jesus had contrast and parallels. The contrast between Joshua and Jesus was sharp. Joshua was not a priest, nor was he a king. Neither was he a statesman or a diplomat. Instead, Joshua was a tough, battle-scarred soldier, a fearless man of war. He was fit physically and mentally for fierce warfare. He was a professional soldier who was not repulsed by severed limbs and body parts on the battlefield. He had a messy assignment, exterminate the Canaanite population. Right. He showed no pity or mercy on the Canaanites. He spared none. He was the epitome of the faithful soldier who carried out orders without questioning or delay. 
The world of the first Joshua was filled with swords, bloods, blood, and wailing. The second Joshua, Jesus Christ, is the Prince of Peace. There's no place in his kingdom for violence, for bloodshed, for war, for weapons, for killing. The first Joshua shed the blood of many people for the sake of Israel. The second Joshua shed his own blood for many people for the sake of true Israel. I just realized there is another connection. The first Joshua, sword, blood, wailing. The second Joshua, Jesus, on the cross, pierced with a sword. His blood poured forth. He gave up his spirit with a sigh. Yes. And Rick, let's yes, yeah, I was going to say, let's not forget that there was another Joshua in the Old Testament, too, that uh, Zechariah and Haggai talked about, uh, Joshua the high priest. And, yes. uh, and in many ways, Jesus also fulfilled that because uh, the, uh, the Lord gave a vision to Zechariah about Joshua the high priest and his duties, and, uh, and we see a big fulfillment of those things. So you have the warrior Joshua that delivered the people of Israel. Then you had the high priest Joshua that interceded for the people of Israel. And then you had the ultimate fulfillment in Christ of him being the warrior king priest of his people. Yes. yes. So whereas the first Joshua inspired brave men to fight with all their might on battlefields against powerful foes. Jesus inspires his disciples to love their enemies and foes and to do good to those who persecute them. The first Joshua brought down Jericho's high walls. The second Joshua teaches his troops to pull down strongholds, cast down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Both men were conquerors. The first Joshua conquered his foes with death. The second Joshua conquered his foe death. The first Joshua led God's people into their promised land. The second Joshua is our promised land. land. Yes. Glory. In Christ, there is peace, joy, health, abundance, everything that we need in this life. The first Joshua gave God's people a temporary rest in the promised land. A land of milk and honey. Yes. He secured a partial rest through military victories. He fought and defeated the giants in Canaan so that the Hebrews could enter and possess the land. Jesus Christ did our fighting for us on the cross. He defeated Satan. He took from Satan the keys of hell and death. And through his victory on the cross, Jesus gives God's people eternal rest. Yes. Canaan was a figure of the true rest that God desired to give his people who believed in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the first Joshua was a figure of Jesus. Yes. Canaan land's rest was not all that Jehovah intended to give his people. There was more, but it would not come through the first Joshua. 
Hebrews 4, 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, he, meaning Jehovah, would not have spoken afterward of another day. Yes. It was King David who spoke of another day of rest for God's people. The rest provided through Joshua was merely a shadow of the true rest that Jesus Christ, the son of David, would provide his people. We enter our promised land by dwelling in Christ, where we find rest for our souls in a world of trouble and instability. Another day began when Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus was born in Bethlehem as God in human flesh. Jesus Christ is our eternal Sabbath. Joshua and Jesus were both forerunners. A forerunner is a person who is sent in advance to scout out new territory. Joshua was one of the 12 spies who entered Canaan to scout out the territory in preparation of leading the Hebrew people in to take possession of it. Jesus is the true Joshua who went ahead of us to enter and take possession of our promised land of eternal rest. Joshua chose 12 men from the tribes of Israel. Their assignment was not revealed until after the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. The holy priest transported the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan when God parted the flooding river like he did with the Red Sea. Mary's womb was the Ark of the New Covenant. Jesus chose 12 men and revealed their divine assignments in his kingdom after the resurrection. Joshua's crossing of the Jordan was symbolic of salvation and deliverance through faith in Christ and water baptism. In fact, Jesus was baptized by John in the same location in the Jordan River where Joshua crossed over into the promised land. Glory. Prior to the Israelites crossing the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, God spoke a promise to Joshua following the death of Moses. And Doc and I and and those who went with us to Jordan, we stood at Mount Nebo, which is where Noah died. It's where he saw the promised land, and that was the last of his life. That promise in Joshua 1, verse 5, there shall not be any man, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. The unknown author of the book of Hebrews quoted a biblical expression that's found in three different books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31, Joshua 1, 1 Chronicles 28. The expression contains the same promise made by God to his people. That is this, God will never abandon his people. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thus, our Joshua is with us always. Yes, Our Jesus, Joshua, is with us always. Joshua promised protection and deliverance to Rahab the harlot. He also brought her a Gentile 
into citizenship in Israel. Jesus promised salvation and deliverance to Gentiles and brings us into citizenship in the true and faithful Israel, the church of God. Joshua Hebrews, what Moses could not deliver. He gave them entrance into the promised land. Right. Jesus, Jesus gave Jews and Gentiles what Joshua could not deliver. He gave us entrance into the kingdom of God. The Hebrews entered their physical promised land by faith in God. We enter our spiritual promised land by faith in God's Son. We enter the fullness of God's promise when Jesus Christ returns in his second coming, gathers his church, destroys the old earth, makes a new earth, brings to it new Jerusalem, where the Holy Trinity shall live forever with the saved saints. Our Joshua is a warrior king who conquers through love, meekness, righteousness, and truth. Our Joshua saves us from our sins. When he returns to earth, our Joshua, Jesus, he will have on his garment and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes. Even more marvelous, our conquering King Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, will have a new name that will be revealed to us after he leads us into New Jerusalem, which is our eternal promised land home. Yes. And that's in Revelation 19, verses 11 and 16. Jesus gets a new name. Yes. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> Doc, you want to read uh, Revelation 19, verses 11, 16? Yeah, let me get right over there. Hang on. Just because it's, it, it's, it's right there in black and white. We're told in the revelation of Jesus Christ that he will be, that he will reveal his new name to us when he comes back. Yes. But you uh, get a new name too. That's right. So uh, Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. So there's another name for Jesus. And in righteousness he doth doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name, once again, another name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Praise God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yes. Save his, save his people from their sins. God owns the people. The people own their sins. The angel identified us as God's people. We were not to become his people. We are his people, but we are born into sin. 
Jesus came to save God's people from their sins. The Jews wanted a new Joshua who would deliver them from the Romans. Yes. God said they needed a new Joshua to deliver them from their sins. Yes. That's because sin had a firmer and deeper grip on them than, than did the, the Roman army. Yes. Oh, that'll preach. The, that will preach. The angel instructed Joseph to give the child an ordinary common name, Joshua. The Christ child identified with God's people. Joshua was as, was as common a name as John is in our society. Why did he give, why did God say, give him a name that, you know, probably one in every 20 boys had the name Joshua? Because God was saying to the Hebrews, this Messiah I'm giving you, he will identify you with you. He will be one of you. He will be with his people. The Christ child came to, to identify with their oppression, to deliver them from Satan's bondage. God's people are under a heavy yoke, and the Christ child came to lift the yoke and to give them an easy yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want to I want to conclude this lesson. Oh wow. Look at the time. <laughs> I know. Well, but, but I think we were, we started about eight minutes into the hour. Um, I want to conclude this message on the birth of Christ and what we've learned in in this study, which has uh, taken us what now? We're we're in what the seventh day of this study, right? Somewhere somewhere like this, five to seven days. I want I want to read to you the lyrics of the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We, all of us have sung this hymn many times at Christmas. Listen to the words. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep and angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. And praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels 
the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Well, does it make more sense to you now? Does it mean more to you when you, the next time you sing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, will it have more importance to you? As we understand why he's called Emmanuel. Praise God. Praise the Lord, Doc. Great lesson. Tomorrow we'll move to chapter two, book of Matthew. Amen. And so once again, great lesson, Rick. And uh, you really drew out uh, some information I had not uh, considered before. And uh, so really a great, great job there. And for just based on the chat, people are loving it too. And so, um, Hey, uh, uh, because we are extending our time out here a little bit, uh, we're going to close things down, but we want to invite you to be sure here to be here with us each weekday morning, 8 a.m. for Morning Manna. Be with us live if you can. If you're listening to us on the replay on uh, uh, in the afternoons, then we encourage you to join us live each and every weekday morning, 8 a.m. on Faith and Values. And if you can't catch us then, you can always catch the archives on faithandvalues.com. That's where we archive all of our material, including True News. And so we invite you to be a part of Faith and Values. Any final words, Rick, before we sign off for today? No, sir. No, I know. I'm looking at the clock. We need to wrap it up. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back here tomorrow, Chapter 2. All right. God bless everyone. We'll see you on the Wednesday edition of Morning Manna. I hope Morning Manna is a blessing to you. It's a blessing to me to teach it. I, I love teaching morning manna. Um, a lot of work goes into a doc. Yes. Uh, many hours of, of, of research, reading commentaries, studying the Word of God, praying about it, writing out the outline. It takes hours of work for every morning manna lesson. Hours. And I really, I don't think I could handle all the news and everything that we do. At if we full, didn't study if the we Word of God. we didn't do morning manna as well. Yes. We have to have both. Absolutely. So I, I hope it's a blessing to you, those of you who are staying for the entire program. A one-hour daily Bible study yes. is a serious commitment, and, and I am just delighted that thousands of people are participating every day. Right. It and is if, awesome. If you're with us every day over the course of a year, that's 200 hours of Bible study that you're you're having with us 200 hours that's yeah. a college level course yes it is it's beyond college that's really right. what i get excited about doc is the lord said that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him yes so if you are diligently attending morning manna seeking the lord through his word you have a promise that he will reward you amen it's a guarantee he will reward you and the reward comes in many, many ways, many forms. It's not just monetary. It's uh, peace. It's good health. It's uh, grace. It's wisdom. It's eternal life. It's eternal life. And he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So thank you for attending Morning Man every day. We got to go. I'll see you tomorrow. True news.
You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.